Well, hello, friends. Welcome once again to another edition of The Shepherd's Voice with the Bishop of Trenton, Bishop David M. O'Connell. Happy to have you here in this March edition. Uh, joining us here in the studio also is Cheryl, and we want to welcome to the program, especially the host of the program, Bishop David M. O'Connell. Welcome, Bishop. Thank you, Jim. Hello, Cheryl. Hello, Happy everyone. Happy to have you here. Good to be with everybody today. Always great to have you. Yeah, I hope all is going well for the holy season of Lent for everybody. It's a special special time of year, kind of a determined time for us really to focus on our faith and the demands of our faith and ways in which we can grow more deeply in our faith through penance and prayer. I was sorry I couldn't be on the air list. I don't know what happened in February just got away from me in mm-hmm. terms of scheduling, and it always seemed like on Fridays something came up that I had right. to do and I couldn't get out of and I couldn't get back and forth. Right. So, Well, you're just the bishop. You shouldn't be that busy. <laughs> <laughs> Piece of cake, right? You know, one, one big news item these days, of course, is the issue of vaccines. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. As mm-hmm. we continue to struggle through this pandemic. And, you know, it's sad to say, but there's been an awful lot of confusion generated about uh, the vaccines through multiple statements, some of which are from the church mm-hmm. and uh, church authorities, and uh, but more so confusion generated by maybe some individual bishops uh, or some journalists or media people or folks who uh, have a different take on on everything really, but don't, certainly on this matter. You know, the, the ultimate authority in the Catholic Church for pronouncing official positions or teachings is the Holy Father, Mm. the ultimate authority. And with the Holy Father closely is what we call the Holy See or the Vatican, the various departments charged with oversight of different aspects of church life. Um, We speak about uh, the position of the church, position of the Holy Father, the Holy See, and the College of Bishops in union with the Holy Father. And their pronouncements are binding on the faithful, but only when they explicitly say so. So, I like pizza. Well, that's not a binding on anybody but me. Uh, and it, it takes the explicit identification of a teaching as a position of the church for it to be binding. And so uh, people, Peter, people don't always think that or realize that, and they just think everything that's said, even in Rome, is, you know, de fide definita, and it isn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. When a teaching is meant to be official and binding, it says so. Mm. Now, anybody is free to express an opinion, but they're not free to call it official church teaching, nor are they free to call an official position or church teaching into doubt among the faithful. People ask, what's the role of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops? Well, they're bishops, and they're bishops in union with the Holy Father. However, their role is to show collective support for an official position or teaching of the church. They don't develop the teaching. They don't make the teaching. They support the teaching that is created definitively in the church. The local bishop, for example, myself, okay, my my responsibility is to teach what the church teaches, to present the position of the church, 
and to make judgments when and when not to make statements. I wish some bishops were a little bit more judicious about that. And it's the one thing that I've noticed in recent years is constant the constant flow of statements coming from either the bishops' conference or individual bishops, you know. A statement should be a very serious declaration or announcement or pronouncement of something of significance and importance. It shouldn't be just some, well, I woke up this morning, I'll make a statement, <laughs> you know, on this, that, or the other thing. Now, let me get, you, know, you know, you could see what kind of teacher I was. I'm going, <laughs> going off in these tangents. But back to vaccines. The Holy Father has encouraged the use of vaccines, and he speaks about their use as a matter of charity and common good. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We can see that. Mm-hmm. But he has not required, as an official position of the church, that all Catholics take vaccines. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not been presented as the official teaching of the church. He's encouraged it. He's encouraged it strongly. He's asked his Holy See, his Vatican offices, and his bishops throughout the world to encourage it. But he has not made it the official position of the church. And so if people, and I hear this all the time, if people don't want Catholics, mm. don't want to take the vaccine, that's up to them. Mm-hmm. If they do want to take it and they heed this call to the common good and to charity, that's up to them. But it's not being presented as a requirement. Um, you know, the Holy See, in particular, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which looks into moral teachings and doctrinal teachings and pronouncements and so forth and so forth, and aids in the production of the official position of the church. The Holy See has studied the production of vaccines and has stated as the position of the church that despite the use of distant cell lines, and we're talking about 40 years ago, four decades ago, Mm. derived from aborted fetuses, and no one is saying abortion is good, or defensible here. Right. They're just presenting the fact. The use of vaccines, and they specify Pfizer and Moderna in particular because the cell lines were used uh, in the uh, in the production of the uh, uh, or in the testing of the vaccine, but not in the production of it. Okay. So they're very far removed. Mm-hmm. But those those uh, vac- vaccines are morally permissible, especially when, and this is the thing that's under, when there's no other option in times like these, in times of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Okay. That position of the church outweighs any individual positions to the contrary. It doesn't prevent positions to the contrary. It just outweighs them Mm -hmm. from a moral uh, point of view. Again, the Holy See is not requiring vaccine use. It is saying, though, that vaccine use is morally permissible if you choose to take them. Now, the Bishops' Conference has come out with several statements, okay, mm-hmm. you know, position papers from the uh, office of the uh, chairman of the, the Doctrine Committee of the Bishops' Conference and the office of the Pro-Life 
Activities Committee of the Bishops' Conference. They've explained this. They put it out there. Granted, not everybody has computer to read it. Not everybody has uh, access to other media uh, agencies and to, to get some of these things. But it's out there, and it's in the newspaper. It's, it's online. A question was raised by the Archdiocese of New Orleans and uh, Saint Lu- the Archdiocese of St. Louis regarding the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And that's where the controversy seems to be now. Mm-hmm. I think people understand the Pfizer and the Moderna and all that goes with that. Right. Some may not like it. Some may speak against it. But it's out there. It's been presented, I think, presented sufficiently. I know I've tried to do it here in the Diocese of Trenton. But the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, at least as as presented by New Orleans and St. Louis Archdiocese, has raised some moral concerns about its connection to the direct use of aborted fetal cell lines. The church has studied this, responded immediately, and has said, and this is what the church has said, if you can choose Pfizer and Moderna, take that, that one of those vaccines. But if you can't, the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is morally permissible because there are no other options. And so that's the position that the church has taken. And it, again, it outweighs other opinions to the contrary. And again, it's for the common good. It's for your health and welfare. It's for the health and welfare of your immediate family, your church community, sure. whoever it is. And that's your only option. We're talking about exclusively, uh, specifically during a pandemic. Sure, and that's yeah. that's the focus here. And, you, you know, some people, uh, they're, they've been advised by their doctors or other medical profession, prof, uh, professionals that they don't need to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Some people who have had the COVID and so They're on. looking at them. <laughs> we had it. Oh, you had it. Yeah. And, and you I, don't have to take the vaccine. Well, there's, first of all, they're telling people like us that who have had it, who have tested positive for the antibodies, which we have, to get to the back of the line if you want yeah, it. Yeah, let someone else go first. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing is now they're using our group, our numbers as part of those. They're kind of putting it side by side with the vaccinated. We have people who are vaccinated. We have people who have had it. It's adding to the herd immunity. Yeah, and we, we the fact of the matter is we, we don't know everything about this vaccine, its effects, uh, and uh, whether or not the vaccinated person can carry, mm-hmm. although they don't have the disease, can carry the disease, having contacted it some mm-hmm. way. There's a lot of questions. And a lot. I would say a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it's, it's the lead story or one of the lead stories on the news every night. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, uh, there are some who, who, who their doctors are saying, well, you really don't need to take the vaccine or you don't need to take it at this time. Mm-hmm. There are others like the elderly and in those special groups that we've been hearing about for the last year mm-hmm. that really need to and should to, they should be in the front of the line mm-hmm. right? and right. should get the vaccine as soon as possible. Yeah. I know I, I, I have had my second shot. Mm-hmm. I took the Moderna vaccine. I had my second shot. And after the second shot, I, I got very sick. Did you? Oh. I had a very, very difficult reaction to mm. it. And by that, I mean headache, and I felt achy. I felt like I was run over by a truck, mm-hmm. you know, and a little bit of the chills and so on and so forth. Uh, it passed. It, mm-hmm. I only had it for a day or a day and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I could have 
could have gone into the office. I mean, mm. I didn't feel so bad that I couldn't function. Yeah. But I did feel bad. I did. I knew something wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. But the the doctors uh, at the hospital said, well, that's a very good sign because it's a sign it's working. Right, mm. right. Okay. And some people have that reaction to a flu vaccine. Yeah. I mean, they're just a little Any bit kind more of sensitive. Right. right. It kind of throws you into a... Uh, uh, you know, a funk for yeah. a day or two, and, and, and so then you're back. some had no reaction. Oh, right, that's right. right. And so, see, for us, now we've we've talked a lot about it. There's been there's not in our mind there's not enough data on people like us who have had the vaccine, have the I'm sorry, have had the the, the virus, and have the antibodies. And do you really want a vaccine on top of that? Right. Hasn't our body done what the vaccine is doing anyway? Yeah, and that's right. the, that's the question that has to be determined. Right. But mm-hmm. people. People should not make significant, serious decisions about their approach to health care without consulting with someone who knows That's what they're right. talking like about. Like maybe their doctor. Yeah, like a doctor. <laughs> but we have had, Bishop, we've had, we've had inquiries here on the issue you're ta- of which you're talking. Mostly uh, about the J&J. About the J&J when that came out and, and the, the moral responsibility, the ethical responsibility of Catholics in the vaccines. You're clarifying it very well for the listeners. Yeah, I think it's important for people to know. Pfizer and Moderna, you know, they're not perfect. There is some connection, but it's not as much a a connection as J&J. But even still with J&J, the church has said that it is morally permissible to take the vaccine, especially you know, in some places where they only have the J&J vaccine. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Or some places they run out of the other options. Right. Better to take the vaccine and be done with it uh, than to, uh, you know, fiddle about, fiddle, fiddle around and take chances. You mm-hmm. know? Exactly. Again, a matter of the common good. You're not just doing this for yourself, but you're doing it to protect others. And I say this all the time. People don't realize this in, in church matters, you know. Mm. You know, priests have gotten COVID, and the only reason they got it is because they were in contact with the faithful at mass or at sacraments or funerals or some other means of contact. And some of our priests have gotten very sick mm. as a result of this. Some some not so sick, but they did have a reaction to mm. it. And so we're trying to protect everybody as best we can. Mm-hmm. So let's let's give one another a break here mm-hmm. and try to move forward as best we can. If the church has said, and it has, mm-hmm. it's mor- morally permissible to take the vaccines, including the J&J, mm-hmm. although if you have another option, the church would prefer you to take the other option. Right. But if you don't, morally permissible to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. That really clarifies, you know, as you say, the, the, the Holy See has put out their their directive, their statement, and then the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops, they, they're here to explain it and break it sure. down for us. And make sure people understand it, make right. sure it's communicated, right. and that's the role of the individual bishop as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the pushback sometimes, Bishop, you know, will be, you know, why you, if it, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and I think I even read, I didn't read the article, that Johnson Johnson is, is denying that there's fetal cells used in that, but mm-hmm. that's a different story. But when people say, what, we're, what the church is saying, that there is no obligation to get the vaccine. That's between you and your doctor, number one, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's there's a moral obligation to get it or not. If, if the doctor says you don't need it, don't worry about it. Yeah, that's, a, that's what your doctor. But even saying. if the doctor said you didn't, you, it's good for you to get it, and you decide I'm not going to get it. You know, some people just don't believe in vaccines. Right. right. Okay, that's your opinion. Mm-hmm. Don't force that on the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you hold your opinion. And, and the church isn't holding them responsible. And though. the church is not. Uh, 
telling them to do or not to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is there is freedom. Yes. And the individual person yeah, and yeah, the church yeah. is giving people that freedom. Now, mm-hmm. if the church felt more strongly or wanted to require it, they'd say so. Mm-hmm. Right. That was my right. point in the beginning. Right. Yeah. The church wants something, putting, is presenting something that must be believed by the faithful. It will say so. Mm-hmm. Or it will say it in a way that it's very clear that that's what they mean. Yeah, right. very Short good. of that, uh, they have uh, a responsibility to give us guidance, encouragement, instruction, and 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 then uh, to move move on. And with the bishop's statement this week, of course, the mainstream media will play that to a certain way and spin it a certain way. And if people are watching that, they're going to get the wrong idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the you know the last night I watched two different news broadcasts, and the broadcast was Catholic Church has problems with, you know, and in one of the two broadcasts they didn't say that the church has said it's morally permissible. Uh, given the circumstances that we're facing, mm-hmm. uh, so so informa- and the the problem is that people look to uh, the secular news media right. for their Catholic instruction, instruction, <laughs> and not to the ones who are. Right. Right. And as I say, it becomes further confusing when one or two bishops here and there uh, decide that they have the direct line and that they're going to say something, and you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. And either, you know, we have some bishops who would would prohibit breakfast cereal if they had the <laughs> opportunity to do it, and they'd come up with some moral yeah. justification for that. Anyway, I think that's good clarification. Clear. Yeah. That clear? Good, we can close the book on that. One. Well, you, you know, mm-hmm. it, won't, it won't close, but mm-hmm. again, uh, to, I've taken my responsibility to make sure this information gets out directly first to the pastors mm-hmm. and priests, then to the people through the publications of the diocese and. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll we'll just take it from there. Okay. But I did want to say something Good. today Good. because Thank you. as you're getting questions, we're all yeah, getting questions, sure. and yes. the pastors are getting questions. And people are just reading a variety of sources. Like on any topic, there's going to be variance in opinion and guidance, and, and who do you listen to? So you're going to be fifty fifty percent yes, fifty percent no. So what do you do? Uh, Anytime anybody says anything, I always say, "What's your source? Where are you getting that yeah, from? Yeah. What are you reading?" Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Yes. Depending so, on what they're reading. Yeah, sometimes it's just uh, blather, you know, people right. talking. Yeah, exactly. well, I heard. Well, somebody said. Yeah, well, someone I said, saw on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> oh, there, now there's a source of information. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> anyway, I wrote a pastoral letter uh, and released it on the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Uh, you know, and that's something that bishops do from time to time if there's some area in church life that they would like to comment on or they would like to encourage the faithful uh, to think about, pray about, reflect on, and and I did that. I've written four pastoral letters in my going on 11 years as bishop. Um, it's not that I don't think there's more that needs to be said or that I could, <laughs> couldn't write more, but a pastoral letter, letter is a substantial reaching out to the clergy and faithful of the diocese and uh, and so I, I just thought the time was right, especially in this, as we were all struggling with this pandemic, uh, to write a pastoral letter on the presence of God. Mm. Because as you know, um, when the going gets tough, sometimes people will say, oh, well, where is God in all this? Exactly. Or God has abandoned me. Or God doesn't listen to my prayers. Or worse yet, there is no God. Um, and so I thought it was important to put 
uh, the presence, the idea of the presence of God, the reality of the presence of God, the experience of the presence of God before the faithful so that they can think about it. You know, we all have more time to think about things like that these days. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of too much that's more important than reflecting on the presence of God. And as I wrote, you know, a little, you know, I write the way I speak. <laughs> Maybe whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But, <laughs> but uh, just reflecting on, on, on things that have occurred in life, um, the pandemic being one, but I also reflected on those who are, I, used to, I, I kicked off with the notion of social distancing mm. and how that's kind of become a new term in our vocabulary this past year and how the pandemic is, it requires it in gatherings, even in church gatherings. Um, but it's also present in the lives of people unrelated to the pandemic and the homeless and the drug addicts and the alienated or the marginalized, the bullied, whatever mm-hmm. you want to say, the elderly who are forced to live alone or have no one Elderly who are in nursing homes have no one to visit. You know, social distancing is imposed on them. Yeah, they've and, been social distancing before it was a popular yeah, before thing. Him. So yeah. what I what I'm trying to do is just encourage people. You know, don't give up. Reflect on the presence of God. And I I don't know whether you or some of the listeners have ever read. I read it as a seminarian, uh, a little book by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection called "The Practice of the Presence of God." Mm. And it's a small book. And he, what he does in it, he says, people make prayer so complicated. Prayer is just the presence of God and being aware of it. And he, he was given the most menial jobs in the monastery. He's a Carmelite in Paris. And he had been a soldier. He was raised in a very poor family, joined the military just to provide for himself. Um, and then one day he was out in a battlefield and he saw kind of what, what would you call it, a naked tree, a tree without leaves or flowers or covering it all, just a tree. And he had a vision or an, uh, his imagination. He, he saw that tree three months later fully flowered and full of leaves and so on. And he got an inspiration at that moment that uh, that's the way God works. Mm. He takes what's bare and empty and fills it. And that's the way that God transforms our lives. So this little... This little brother who was totally uneducated, very poor, uh, and very humble, felt he had a vocation, and he approached the Carmelites, and he become, became a lay brother in the Carmelites. And the, the uh, superior of the Carmelites, the abbot, gave him the, the, the worst jobs in the monastery, the jobs that no one else mm-hmm. wanted to do, and he became the, the person who, who cleaned the pots and pans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he wrote a beautiful prayer, uh, O Lord of the Pots and Pans. Yeah. <laughs> and what he talked about is how he prays as he's washing dishes and cleaning up. He sees God's presence in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote this beautiful book. And so I, I've taken little snippets here and there out of his writings. They were collected after his death. And, you know, for a guy whom everybody regarded as kind of dumb and kind of common— when people would visit the monastery, even some of his brother monks, uh, they were amazed at his this depth of his spirituality mm. and the sense that this is a man who is intimate with God. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a lot of very good advice for us, and I just 
you know, I remember I was a novice in 1975. And uh, I rem- that his book, his writings, his lessons have stayed with me ever since then. So I'm just sharing that with mm-hmm. the faithful. And basically just to let them know, you know, um, you know God, is, God is with us everywhere. If we try to be conscious of the presence of God, if we go to meet God wherever he is and he's everywhere, mm-hmm. we can be sure that God's going to come and meet us where we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that's the pastoral letter that, uh, that is out. And, and where can people find that? People can find it on the diocesan website and on, you know, dioceseoftrenton.org or on the Monitor website, uh, monitor.org, just Google it. Yeah, it's I called it's Behold, I Am With You Always. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I named it. You know, of course, for the writings of the end of St. Matthew's Gospel is our Lord has ascended into heaven. That's mm-hmm. what he promised us. He'd be mm-hmm. with us, and he's been faithful to mm-hmm. the promise. And I think the parishes will make it available on their websites or mm-hmm. links to it on their websites. Uh Again, I don't get paid for this, Ron. I'm not promoting this as a book like you see on TV. But I just think it gives some some thoughts that are worthwhile. Maybe some people are much more advanced in the spiritual life than I, and they don't need this. But I just thought at this time it's it's good for people to hear yeah. this. Well, you know, with that, given that theme even, and I'm, that's why I asked where people can find it, I think people feel very isolated in so many ways, even as far as communicating, where you know, whereas if they went to a parish, this is something maybe that would be have been in the past have been available in paper sure. form, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and people just you know. So we want to make sure that we're able to let them know venues and 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 platforms where they sure. can go to get this type. Well, of actually, thing. It, it'll be published in the Monitor magazine for the month of March, okay. which I think is being released today. So it'll be available in the parishes mm. that provide the uh, Monitor right. magazine. You mm-hmm. know, maybe. We have the Monitor website, and that's the day-to-day, mm-hmm. and the Monitor magazine is once a month, mm-hmm. and that uh, will present this pastoral letter there. Sure. And I would recommend if your parish does not have it out there, and a lot of parishes do not have materials to take with you, but people can subscribe to that. I mean, it's Absolutely. a beautiful—and again, I'm not getting any cut in this either, but when that magazine came out— it was the most. Well, beautiful. you were always a fan of the monitor, even before the magazine. Oh, I love yeah, anything where yeah. you could lick your finger and turn the page. Sure, I mean, that's, sure. I don't do Kindle and reading online. I like to have something. <laughs> I'm just old-fashioned that way. Yeah. But it was a beautiful, beautiful publication. Yeah, it's well and done. It's well yeah. done, and it's worth worth reading. You know, and again, as you say, you know, some parishes they're not, you know, and, right? They're and, still not even publishing their bulletin. And right. that's that's certainly what we encourage them to be careful about. That mm-hmm. only materials that you can take with you. All right, not not material the that you're yeah. going to flip through during mass and then leave in the right. pew. Right. But people have no reading material during the homily now. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, they're going to have to listen. <laughs> uh, I know they have to struggle sometimes. You know, I, I I can't say that I blame them sometimes. You know, maybe even, you've been there yourself. <laughs> sure, you know, I said to someone the other day, I said, "Well, did you hear my last homily?" And they said, "We hope so." <laughs> the answer is yes. There you go. But anyway, but, on that, yeah, in this good. edition of the Monitor, there also is another article which I wrote. You know, this is going to be the Bishop O'Connell show on this <laughs> Monitor, but. Uh, I wrote a, a, a little bit longer article than I usually write about St. Joseph oh. because this is the year of St. Joseph yes. and this month, month of March, March 19th, the Feast of St. Joseph, Solemn Feast of St. Joseph, Spouse of Mary. And I know here in the diocese we have a number of parish churches named for St. Joseph. 
We have a court right down the street in the uh, uh, St. Lawrence Rehab. We have St. Joseph Hall, which mm-hmm. is a long-term care for mm-hmm. uh, people. And uh, a number of things that are uh, patterned after St. Schools and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, why not write something about St. Joseph uh, in a fuller way, in which I trace St. Joseph through the scriptures uh, which is not much. There's not right. much That's there. That's it, right. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing given the, the kind of the scarcity or the paucity of scriptural references to the man, how often in the past 2,000 years has somebody written or spoken or developed mm-hmm. a prayer or a chaplet or a novena or a hymn, mm-hmm. all the statuary, all the artwork. And, you know, aside from the Blessed Mother, the person that most popes have spoken about or have spoken about more than any other person has been St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. So this quiet little Without man, himself having spoken a word in Scripture. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. that's what I mean. So it's, yeah. a, it's kind of an interesting, ironic, and mm-hmm. maybe in itself very instructive. I think Pope yeah. Benedict talked about the, the being infected by the silence of St. Joseph mm-hmm. in a noisy world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that... that Provides a little bit of time, and I think you know the pandemic obviously is a is a great time to realize you know maybe we don't talk to as many people, we don't have as many opportunities to gather, but Saint Joseph gives us kind of a, a good example. So I write about it, his life, some of the things that some of the the theologians and popes have said over the centuries, and leading up to the declaration that this year would be the year of Saint Joseph and the the thought of Pope Francis, and also uh, a prayer, the prayer that is attributed to St. Patrick. I conclude the letter. So that's going to be in this edition of the Monitor, March edition. But also I had an idea. You know, those that phrase is a phrase that causes fear and trembling to everybody who works for me. <laughs> I have Uh-oh. this idea. When I come into the room and say I have an idea. Then you hear a massive sigh. Oh, here we go. <laughs> but uh, what I thought was to take to ask the pastors and priests of the diocese and others, you know, if you have a, a presentation, a representation, a statue, a stained glass, a artwork, in your parish, take a picture of it and send it to me. Mm-hmm. And so in this edition, we're going to have a spread of all the representations of the presence of St. Joseph, really, I want to say, mm-hmm. uh, throughout, the, throughout the diocese. So that's going to be nice. Good. And then we'll repeat my article. And, uh, you know, I've gotten some pictures after the uh, material was sent to print. So we'll have, we'll, we'll have full representation of everybody who sent pictures or things in it. It's, it really, it's really a beautiful idea to see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many of the statues look the same, and probably some of them are bought from the same company. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there are some very unique and interesting portrayals of St. Joseph that I received. So it'll be interesting to, uh, to look through that and to see if your parish is there and what mm-hmm. your parish Oh, that's so, a great. Idea. I got to ask you one quick question, Bishop, because Cheryl and I have gone back and forth on this. I've never heard of such a thing, but Cheryl told me somebody told her they had a relic of Saint Joseph. I've never heard of that, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I I know one time when I was in Rome, I was talking to one of the cardinals there, and he said, "Oh, you know, uh, <laughs> there are enough veils of the Blessed Mother to fill seven trunks." <laughs> you know, so I, I I I've never heard of that. I've never maybe, heard of it either. Maybe but, so, I mean, no. but you know. We don't, you know, the fun, the interesting thing about Saint Joseph, you know, he was, 
He was uh, a very important, singular part of the infancy narratives we call the infancy narratives mm-hmm. in Matthew and and Luke. Refer- little reference in Mark, even less of a reference in John. But in the infancy narratives, St. Joseph's role is pretty clearly established in the beginning. And then we we can follow him or we can see his presence up till Jesus is around age 12. You mm-hmm. know, we went to right. the temple in Jerusalem again, which was the custom uh, for the Jews in, in that time. And then all of a sudden, St. Joseph just disappears. Right, right. We don't know anything else about him. Of course, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know how old he was when he met the Blessed Mother. We don't know how old he was when they married. We don't know... Uh, kind of the ins and outs of his daily activities. We don't know anything about his background other right. than the lineage that's described in the scripture right. that places right. him. We don't know when he died. Right. And, and we know uh, so little. Where he's buried. So, you know, if they, if they have a... Ask the guy with the relic. He, must, they have he relic. must know somebody. <laughs> if they have the relic, good for him. <laughs> so tell him I'd like to see it. I'd like to venerate it sometimes if it's an authenticated relic. Not everything that people say is relics is authorized by the church. So right. we have to keep that in mind. But anyway, St. Joseph, great, uh, great saint, patron of so many things, you know, Here's a guy who said so very so nothing not too much actually in the scriptures. You know we have some record of his conversations with the angels and with the this and that, but uh, you know he's the patron of the Universal Church, mm-hmm. and that's really what we're celebrating in this year, the 150th anniversary of the declaration by Blessed Pope Pius the Ninth, Pio Non, though as we used to mm-hmm. say, we still say um, that he is the patron of the Universal Church. Yes. And establishing really this feast of March 19th, which was already in the liturgical calendar, but celebrating it as a solemnity, yes, as a higher class of feasts, and uh, identifying it as the feast of St. Joseph, the spouse of Mary. You know, we have two St. Joseph feasts in the calendar, in the liturgical calendar. This one on March 19th. Uh, and uh, one on May 1st. May 1st. This is St. Joseph's spouse of Mary. May 1st is St. Joseph the Worker. The worker. Mm-hmm. This, you know, and you're, you're Italian. Uh, you knew that. It's a dead giveaway. Right? <laughs> but, well, no, what are you talking about? about? <laughs> tell me, tell me did, you, did you have a customary Joseph's table in growing up? Or no? No, not in my home, no. I think more so when Cheryl and I started dating, we started getting into the Zeppeli and the whole thing about on St. Joseph's <laughs> oh, okay. table. Oh, yeah. It's all about the <laughs> it's Zeppeli. It's all about the Zeppeli. <laughs> Zeppeli is very good. The St. Joseph cakes. The St. Joseph cakes. And, and, just oh, observing yeah. all the feast yeah. days. Yeah, I, just... I've seen, you know, I've seen, been in parishes or I've seen parishes where they really have a really, I would say, a blowout type of feast. I think feast, you did. You know? Your parish did for a while, we right? We do, yeah. With the food and the... And the mm-hmm. Blessed the, bread. And blessed bread and mm-hmm. the sweets and, and right, all right. Really beautiful. You can break your fast on March 19th, apparently. Yeah, well, right. good thing you brought that up. <laughs> because it's a Friday this year. It's a Friday this year, and I've given a dispensation. Oh, thank in you, In the Diocese of Trenton <laughs> for anyone who wants to be dispensed from abstinence from meat. You know, we have so few days of abstinence. You know, I, right. I do these things slowly. I don't do them with with a great deal of eagerness. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, you know, this has been an exceptional year. This is the year of St. Joseph. Right, right. The Feast of St. Joseph, mm-hmm. you know. We always do it for St. Patrick when he's on a Friday. <laughs> That's you know? right. So <laughs> we do it for St. Joseph and give people the opportunity. And I say to people, as I always do, 
Transfer the abstinence from meat to another day if mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. Or do something else. Get to Mass. Go to Mass on Feast of St. Mm-hmm. Joseph if you're able to. Mm-hmm. So that's in the Diocese of Trenton. We don't know so about we'll the other diocese. So we'll have to drive here. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's I think happening. The, I, th- I think maybe also in the Diocese of Newark. Okay. I think it may be also right, there. But we also but go I, to I Philadelphia, Camden. We, but we, that's their We're business. Yeah, I don't know what they what yeah. is done in Philly or Camden. Mm-hmm. And all but the, if, if they're going to give an... Uh, the dispensation, they'll announce it, I'm yes. sure, mm-hmm. on their website. So they'll have to come to Trenton for the uh, the meatballs. And come in. Hey, we got a lot going on, you know. I mean, people don't have to take the dispensation. Right. It's there for those who right. wish it. And if mm-hmm. they if they, um, they they can't transfer the abstinence for whatever reason or they can't get the mass, you know, do some other act of penance. Mm-hmm. Uh, in place of the absence. But even if it were not a Friday, just the solemnity itself in Lent, people could consider oh, yeah. that break their, oh, their, Fridays, their we, personal Fridays fast. Fridays in Lent, you have the abstinence regulation. Right. But the as text. far as breaking your own personal fast for mm-hmm. Lent, or it is a mm-hmm. solemnity. We sing the glory. I would imagine the glory the is sung song, at Mass. Right. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, yeah, it's done that way. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of Mass, I will celebrate the Mass for St. Joseph this year. And we'll broadcast it. It will be uh, celebrated in the Chancery Chapel, our mm-hmm. small chapel, mm-hmm. where I've been broadcasting masses, uh, many masses. When I'm not in a parish broadcasting, I'll broadcast from there. Mm-hmm. And so those who would like to uh, uh, tune in, go mm-hmm. online, go to Mass virtually. For St. Joseph, it'll be available on the diocesan websites and the monitor website. Do you know what time, Bishop? Um, I, I, I think probably it's, it's broadcast, so it'll probably be repeated throughout the day. Okay. Usually so we'll go to the Dyson website. And what we there. do like for things like that is we usually make it available starting at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then it's all day, like I did for the Stations right. of the Cross. Right. Okay. You know, we had almost 2,000 mm-hmm. people view the Stations mm-hmm. of the Cross. And I used the Alphonsus Liguori yes. version that I yes. used. Yes, I was watching Growing that. up. Uh, there was one typo in there. Someone was pointed out to me. You know, it talks about something swell, something swell. It's may it swell, and it means may, it should be may it dwell. <laughs> so okay, one little typo. Golly, beef! It is swell. Uh, I know. <laughs> you know, but so some, someone always picks it, picks it up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that's we and we've been broadcasting from the diocese of masses. I've been saying for a lot of occasions. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying, we're trying to touch the faithful and reach out to the faithful mm-hmm. at a difficult time, yes. at a time when, you know, I ordinarily during the ordinary year, and, you know, I'd be, I'd be out and about all the time in different parishes and, you know, 30 or 40 confirmations each se- season, but certainly in the springtime. Mm-hmm. So what I did this year is uh, I asked the priests about that, knowing that I would have had my second vaccination, but also knowing that there's still a lot of questions that, exist if they wanted me to come to their parish or they would rather that I delegate them to give the confirmation in their parish. And many have asked for delegation mm. of the faculty to confirm, which I have sent out to a number of parishes. Uh, some others said, no, we would we would like you to come if you could come. Mm-hmm. Some have had to add extra mm-hmm. celebrations of confirmation. So uh, the confirmation is on. The season is starting. It'll stop. Uh, I'll begin at... Uh, Church of the Nativity in Fairhaven this week, oh, uh, this Friday, and uh, start with confirmations. I'll have three sets of confirmations there. And then I think the next is in Seagird at St. Mark's and uh, a number of 
parishes until June. Mm. So we'll we'll start uh, getting out and about again. But even though we haven't been, you know, physically present, we certainly try to be as visible to the faithful yes. as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to the parishes, to the pastors, and to the priests of the diocese, and for all also for the ministers and those who are serving as catechists and special function deacons and special functions within the parish uh, for what I think is a marvelous outreach attempt to make sure the faithful know that mm-hmm. we're still with them, we're standing by them yeah. at this time. You know, I did something interesting. I did a um, I did a timetable. Last year, everything seemed to, to go on hold March the 12th, after March the 12th. I had confirmation up in Father Hesco's parish up in uh, Middletown, the mm-hmm. Catholic Library. <clears throat> And we had two sessions, and that was the end. The next day we started the uh, shutting down, temporarily shutting down of a number of things. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing. This timeline goes on for pages and pages Mm -hmm. of all the things that we've been able to do or tried to do or attempt to do, all the letters that I sent out, the messages, the uh, conversations that pastors had with their people and priests had with their people, their attempts to make sure that they could provide the sacraments in different ways just to make sure the people mm-hmm. were able to go to confession or the sick were able to, you know, a lot of times we weren't able to reach the sick because of hospital regulations. Right. We couldn't get in. Right. Um, and so that that was sad. I mean, we're going to look back on this this time with a little bit of sadness that we had to do what we had to do, but right. we had to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people don't like to blame the government, but these decisions were my decisions, and they were informed by uh, competent medical authorities, respectable medical authorities, and and again, it was for the common good. It was for the I common mean, good. You always come and nobody back liked to that doing core, it. You know, right, people talk exactly. to you like you you enjoyed, right? Kind of, oh, this was great. I can punish. You know, yeah, <laughs> no, no one, one was being punished. No yeah. one was being punished. You right. know, in fact, if, I think if you were to ask most parish priests that they felt. Uh, that this this was painful for them to be kind of separated or distant from their ordinary uh, cycle of activities. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's uh, that's Saint Joseph mm-hmm. dispensation for all who want it. Let the meatballs, <laughs> eat the okay meatballs then. And the sauce well, all right then. <laughs> start working. Um, people have asked about Easter. Holy Week and Easter. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, last year, as you remember, we had uh, everything virtual. Mm-hmm. This year, we're back in the churches, and occupancy has been raised. It's not yes. 100% now. Some parishes are, are telling me that they're meeting the occupancy. Some parishes are saying a little lower than their occupancy. And what is it officially, the occupancy? The occupancy has been one-third. One-third. But I think now they're they're saying 50%. Right. Now, that's statewide? That's- Statewide, for, it's New, for Jersey. As a, as a, well, New Jersey, New Jersey, mm-hmm. yes. New Jersey, and it, and it, and it, and the, it does apply to religious organizations. Mm-hmm. I think they made some accommodation for yeah. weddings and all mm-hmm. of this stuff. But anyway, right. we're talking about mass, and uh, you know, some some people, you know, raising the occupancy for, to fifty percent doesn't really help because of the social distancing requirement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. Uh, you maybe can't have 50% in some churches because of social distancing. Right. So, and that still applies, the social distancing and the masking right. and all of that. Right. So uh, anyway, we, we have some uh, adjustments you'll notice to the liturgies. Uh, you know, the Chrism Mass will be live streamed rather than in person 
this year, the, the priest will be present because we, the priests in my presence, have to renew their priestly commitments. Mm-hmm. And then we'll consecrate the chrism and bless the oils and then give them to the priests to take back to the parishes. Mm-hmm. But we won't have, you know, frequently, that, that's the one time of year I, can, I join the priest for dinner. We won't have that. Oh. Uh, I'll have all the seminarians there to help the, with the uh, oils. And they'll be given to the priest. The priest will be social distanced in the church, but we will make it available via live stream so the faithful can still participate in the chrism mass. Palm Sunday, the adjustment. I'm just going back in my head here. Mm-hmm. The Palm Sunday, the adjustment. The only real adjustment, we we're cutting out the beginning of the Palm Sunday service, you know, in the back of the church with the blessing and the gospel and the procession. And that's that we're omitting this year. We'll have the palms on the altar. They'll be blessed, and then they they won't be available until after Mass is over. So the servers or the deacons or the priests will bring the palms to the back of the church mm-hmm. at the end of Mass, and then people can take the palms as they leave. Remember last year we really couldn't have palms. So. Exactly. We didn't right. have it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, we, we've adjusted that. Holy Thursday, w- w- the adjustment will be the, there'll be no washing of the feet in any of the parishes. Mm-hmm. That 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 is, uh, I can't say I'm sorry to see that, go, but, <laughs> but that that'll be taken out. Mm-hmm. That's my own little opinion here. Right, right, no right, letters, right, please. Right. No uh-huh. mandate. No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that will be omitted. And then at the end of mass, you know, as we have the procession and the reposition, right. usually in some special altar. Adoration. This year we will just repose the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle. We'll still have the opportunity for folks to to have their Stay adoration and, pray. Mm-hmm. and holy hours. Can they visit their three churches or, or seven visit churches whatever the churches, yeah. if they're open, that's mm-hmm. good. You know, I, you know, I've done this <laughs> uh, much to the embarrassment of some pastors. I'll go to get to the church. You show up. And the door is locked. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> and I'll call. Say, Don't you have hey, a master Father, key? <laughs> I'm outside here. Where am I in the church? Where's adoration? But but most of the churches follow the the custom, and mm-hmm. that's a beautiful. Custom. I used to take my mother on the visiting the church. Sure. So she yeah, really such loved a that. tradition. Yeah. It was a great it's tradition. Yeah. Good Friday, we won't have the actual physical kissing of the cross. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, we'll have the bow, and then the cross will be there for the veneration and prayer of the faithful. Holy Saturday, again, some adjustments regarding holy water and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those who are in the RCIA programs or those who are being received into the church uh, will be able to be, that will be able to occur at the Easter vigil. You know, we had the, the election of catechumens in the parishes this year rather than in the Iacin celebration simply because of the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've left the pastors with the judgment to determine how he's going to work that out. And everybody who's in, in the pipeline, let's say, uh, certainly will be brought into the church and, mm-hmm. and receive their sacraments by Pentecost, the latest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we will have that occur. So those are some of the things that are going to be in uh, Easter Sunday, of course, will be a regular schedule of masses that the parish sets, whatever that might be. And again, all throughout all of these things in person, the pandemic protocols will be observed: masks and social distancing, mm-hmm. ventilation of the churches, cleaning of the churches, and all of those things. So, and I'm sure live streaming. You know, for those yeah, that are still streaming. comfortable staying at home. And there and, are and, there are many people who tell me, you know, mm-hmm. oh, Bishop, you know, I, I'm not ready. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just not there yet. Yeah, right. well, that's okay. Yeah. We have, still have the dispensation until right. until that's lifted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, is this something that the 
bishops in New Jersey all agreed on to be— uh, This is something that the Bishop of Trenton agreed on. Okay. No, well, saying, interesting. It sounds similar to what it, you've received. From it's exactly well, some, what we're doing in Metuchen. Some, some, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, this, this, mm-hmm. is, this is based upon what we did last year, only the difference is in person. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so— right. I don't know what the other dioceses okay, are doing. Okay, that's we, why I asked. But it sounds, very, it sounds almost exactly yeah, the same. Exactly, we we right. haven't discussed it, let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. But Collectively. I, I mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. had uh, mm-hmm. discussions internally in the diocese with mm-hmm. the vicar general and his committee and some others, and uh, this is what we've determined mm-hmm. to do, but I'm not sure what the others are doing. Mm-hmm. And it makes total sense. And we, mm-hmm. we sent this these directives out at the end of January, so the parishes have had it a long time mm-hmm. to be able to prepare it. Today, of course— very exciting. The Holy Father is in Iraq. Yes, arrived this morning. He arrived mm-hmm. this morning. It's his apostolic visit. He begins today, and he's going to be there, I think, four days. Mm-hmm. This is the first ever papal visit to Iraq, so it's very exciting. And and the Holy Father is trying to provide moral support to Christian minorities. You know, at one time in Iraq, two million Catholics, now less than 200,000. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. they, they're feeling the pain, and there's been some prejudice, some violence, and all of that. And the Holy Father is hoping to bring a message of peace uh, to all of Iraq, but especially to the Christian minorities, um, and to facilitate the goal of building bridges with the uh, with the Muslim world as best we can. You know, mm-hmm. the the uh, dimensions of the actually religious practices are vastly different, um, and the Holy Father is just trying to reach out. It's has been his custom and the custom of those who have preceded him to continue the goal of mm-hmm. uh, of uh, being together and, and allowing everybody to worship God and to to pray and so forth and so forth. So keep the Holy Father in your prayers. You know, mm. it's a bit dicey. Yeah. It's not a real safe place to be. As you know, there were some bombings the sure. other day, as you saw in the news. And, and the, pande- and the uh, pandemic is particularly strong in Iraq. Oh, and so there's a lot of lot of dangers that uh, mm. all the challenges that the Holy Father is facing, but mm. hopefully it'll be a beautiful visit and he'll be safe and return safely. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple things. We have a youth retreat coming up in the diocese, and that's going to be for uh, the, on the theme of Saint Joseph, speaking about the inspirations of Saint Joseph. Uh, the retreat's entitled. Not an ordinary Joe. <laughs> Not your ordinary Joe. Um, and it will be on March 12th and 13th. Of course, it's going to be on uh, live stream. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be, be it's going to be coming from uh, the Co-Cathedral, St. Robert Bellarmine and Freehold mm-hmm. on the 12th and 13th of March. The Feast of the Annunciation, you know, has taken on a very pro-life significance. And so the diocese is having a, a novena to... Uh, to the Blessed Mother on uh, on the Feast of the Annunciation, Annunciation Divina. That's going to begin on the 17th of March, uh, St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. It'll begin on the 17th of March and it will continue on the 20, till the 25th of March, the Feast of the Annunciation. And we'll have some uh, uh, live stream and some other uh, production and broadcast on our diocesan Facebook Again, you can get all this information on the diocesan website. And then the Mount Carmel Guild, the great charitable guild of here, here in uh, Mercer County, they were 100 years last year, but the pandemic prevented a celebration, so I'm celebrating Mass for the Mount Carmel Guild. Mm-hmm. 
and their members on March the 31st at Our Lady of Sorrow, St. Anthony's. I think we'll be at St. Anthony's, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll be 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm, nice. Do, do we have some more time? Or we... we have about uh, two minutes. Okay, oh. quick on legislation. As mm-hmm. you know, on the federal level, American Rescue Plan, got a lot of good in it. It's got some bad in it. And one of the bad elements is uh, the possibility of, uh, of, again, providing funding for abortion. And removing the Hyde Amendment and the other uh, amendments that are in there, not not using that language to prevent a, our taxpayers' money from mm-hmm. going for funding abortions here and elsewhere. You know, our pro-life champion, Representative Chris Smith, has really been speaking strongly about this. On the state level, you know, the New Jersey Catholic Conference, that's the five – that's the bishops of the diocese, of the five dioceses and the eparchy. Uh, and uh, so on. Uh, you know, we work together to try to keep alert to what's going on in the uh, in the state house, especially things that are contrary to church teaching. Most recently, you know, people have been in touch with me about the public school inclusion of gender diversity ideology and what that may mean, and they're very upset. You know, I mean, this is public school. This is yes. Catholic school. Mm-hmm. This is public school. Um, but there are many Catholic children who are going to public school, and the parents really have to speak their mind to the schools and let them know and, and try, to, try to opt out of things that they don't feel is in accord with their teaching and faith. And the governor proposed the Reproductive Freedom Act. He has talked about it, and we are consistently working uh, using all channels to try to oppose that. Um, Certainly, the uh, the New Jersey cat, the bishops have spoken out in October. Uh, I have wrote about it in November. Cardinal Tobin, I think, has an op-ed piece coming out soon from Newark, so that's important. And the third item is the codification of the redefinition of traditional marriage proposed by Steve Sweeney, the president of the New Jersey legislator, and uh, to 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 make what the Supreme Court allowed on a national level to make that as part of the law of New Jersey that will have some impact on our churches and on our church facilities, mm-hmm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so that's coming down the road a piece, so we've got to keep our eye open for that. But okay. uh, that should wrap it up. Well, it does, mm-hmm. just in time. But, uh, Bishop, again, thanks for being here with us. We appreciate it. And next uh, month, first Friday is Good Friday, so we won't be here that Yeah, day, we won't be here. You might have a couple that. things to do that week. One, <laughs> one or two, right? I'm looking. I'll be at the cathedral at noon on Good Friday. Okay. Right, great. And we'll see you back. God yeah. bless you. Thank you. God bless you. you all. Thank you so much.